0: Welcome to the Community of Faith podcast, where you will hear the exposition of God's Word taught by Rev. Patrick Parm, Pastor of Faith Community Fellowship in Bristol, Tennessee. If you are in the Bristol area and would like to visit, please join us for Sunday morning worship beginning at 10 a.m. If you're not able to join us in person, join us online. Visit our website, faith-cf.org. That's faith-cf.org. Or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash faithcommunityfellowshipbristol. That's all one word, faithcommunityfellowshipbristol. Here at Faith Community Fellowship, our goal is to ensure that what we do is edifying to our Heavenly Father. And we hope that this podcast is a blessing to you. Let's join Pastor Pat as he brings us God's Word.
1: Our text for this morning is going to be out of Romans chapter 5 and Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 5 and Romans chapter 6. Of course, we have the great privilege of a baptism service this morning, and so that is the thinking behind this particular passage that we're going to be reading this morning, talking about the sacrament or the ordinance of baptism. And uh, then we will have the joy of baptizing Elena in just a little while. So chapter 5 of Romans, verse 18. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for the opportunity being here today. Thank You for the work that You do in our lives. Thank You for salvation. Thank You for forgiving us of our sins. And thank You for the ordinances, the sacraments of the church that picture and point us to Jesus Christ as we observe them. I ask now that as we continue in this service and look at this passage and later have the joy of baptizing Elena that you would be with us in every step of the way. Everything that is said would be pleasing to you, helpful to your people, and encouraging to all of us here today. For we love you and we desire to magnify your name in all that we do. In Jesus' most holy name, Amen. And we all know that baptism is a command of our Lord. It's a sacrament of our church. Some people call it ordinance of the church. It's a wonderful act of identifying with the people of God. But most likely we also all know that unfortunately throughout the centuries, there's been a lot of disagreement over baptism. And it's among God's people. Disagreement as to who are the proper recipients, what is the proper mode, what is the symbol, what's it symbolizing, all different types of things. And There's all different types of views out there. I'm only going to talk about a couple very briefly because that's not the intent of my message. But People that believe on immersion on the one hand, and people that believe in a fusion, which is sprinkling or pouring on the other, Let me say one thing up front. I've been on both sides of that fence. And I think it would do God's people a whole lot of good if we just step back a moment and realize just because a brother or sister over in another camp doesn't necessarily agree with us doesn't mean that they haven't studied the Scriptures and think that what they believe is correct. Because they do. We all grow up with cultural glasses on and all these types of things. And if you take the step one more, one more out, not only mode and recipients and all that, uh, when is it administered? Do infants get baptized and so forth and all these types of things? But that's a whole lot more than I intend to talk about today. I just want us to recognize these ideas to represent different views of what the Scripture teaches. And both groups truly believe that they are being obedient to our Lord's teaching on this subject. Now, I'm not going to try to persuade anyone one way or the other. That's not my intention. But I want us to be a little bit benefited by looking at briefly some of these thoughts, we can have better understanding of them as a result. Two main passages come into play when people talk about baptism. For the most part, I mean, there's others obviously, but the two main ones are Colossians 2, 11 and 12, and Romans 6 especially, uh, verses 3, 4, 5 along and there. Colossians 2 says, "...in Him you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were raised with Him through faith, in the working of God He raised Him from the dead." Now people that believe in immersion teach that that is circumcision of the heart. And if the circumcision of Christ spoken of in verse 11 would correspond to a verse like Jeremiah 4-4 in the Old Testament, circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your hearts. And in verse 12 is a pictured by immersion underwater. In that view, baptism is a picture of the work applied to believers at the time of their salvation. A few believe that verse 11 is teaching that the Old Testament sacrament of baptism has replaced, has been replaced let me back up. The Old Testament sacrament of circumcision has been replaced by the New Testament sacrament of, circumcision, of baptism. That's the reasoning behind the concept of the covenant sign, the thinking of underlying infant baptism. In that view, uh, what is pictured is the work of the Holy Spirit. As in baptism, He unites His people with Christ in His finished work. So therefore, as the New Testament speaks to the Holy Spirit being poured out, that's why, they would use pouring or sprinkling. And both of these schools of thought also rely heavily upon Romans 6. But as I say, that's not my purpose this morning. I just give that as introductory thoughts. What I want us to look at and what I want us to rejoice in is in these verses that I have read, we have a basis for Christians living under grace. There's a basis for that. We have some responsibility for believers to fulfill. We have the resulting reality in our lives as Christians. And in the latter part of our reading. So the basis of living under grace is starting in verse 18 of chapter 5. One man's righteous act results in justification of life. The one man we know is Christ. It's Jesus. The one righteous act is His payment for sin on the cross and the result of that is justification of life for all who believe in Him. And He goes on to say by one man's offense, the first Adam, many failed. That's in the 19th verse. All who descended from Him by ordinary generation are born sinners, but by one man's obedience, the second Adam, our Lord, many, that it is everybody who believes in Him, and accept His payment for their sins will be made righteous. Later on in this same chapter 6, it says the wages of sin of death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 20 talks about where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. You see, sin is exposed by the law. the law. Sin is defined in 1 John 3, 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. But grace, grace which is abounding in the forgiveness of sin, is given at the time of salvation. It's just poured out lavishly upon us. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ out of Romans 5 in verse 1. And in verse 21, as sin reigned in death, grace reigns through righteousness to eternal life. That's through or by means of (coughs) Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the method through which it is available to us. You see, sin held over us. Death. That was our just due. But grace extends righteousness to us with eternal life as the gift of God. And so as these wonderful truths form the basis for living in grace, then how do we respond? What is our responsibility? Coming down into chapter 6, The question is, since it's all by grace, shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? Since grace covers all sin, grace makes forgiveness of sin available. Well, why don't I just keep sinning more and thereby magnify the grace of God? And the answer is certainly not. Because that would deny the power of Christ. It would deny that Christ's death for sin has the ability to empower us as Christians to be dead to sin. It has that ability. It has that power. That would deny the symbolism of baptism whether we believe it's immersion or whether we believe it is spiritually being united with our Lord. Both of those, it would still deny it because it would deny the efficacy of His death. It would in effect say, if we live the way the question of verse 1 states, it would in effect say that death, the death of Christ has only the ability to deliver us from the guilt of sin but not from His power. Not from His power, but it has both. You see, the beauty of the Gospel is that Jesus did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. God came into this world as a perfect man, separate from sinners, lived a perfect life, and died in our place for our sins. In Romans 8, we read what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. You see, we who are saved know we could never save ourselves. We know that. But if we believe in who Jesus is and what He has accomplished on the cross, He can and will save us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the basis upon which we can not only live but build a life of grace. We live in grace, not payment for what we do. It's grace. And that grace and that power of Christ over not only just the guilt, but the influences and the power of sin is represented symbolically in baptism. First 4 says, we were buried with Him. We were buried with him through by means of the baptism and the death and raised from the dead, with the result being we walk in units of life. You see, that's, that's one reason that people believe in immersions or immersion are so adamant about that. To their thinking, going under the water represents burial. Coming up out of the water represents being raised from the dead. Stepping forth from the water represents beginning a new walk in units of life. A fusion is see the same thing, but in a different way, in a spiritual way, rather than physical. To them, baptism represents the work of the Holy Spirit, symbolized by pouring as he unites the in a real spiritual way with the work of Christ in the past and they believe all who are saved spiritually died with Christ, were raised with Him and through the power of His life, they go forth to walk in newness of life. But my emphasis this morning is to tie the phrase, we also, latter part of verse 4, we also should walk in newness of life back up to verse 2. Back up to verse 2. We also, we also, if we have been walking in units of life, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Whatever baptism pictures in our understanding, what Christ did is the power upon which we live. We are new creatures in Christ. And as such, we walk in newness of life through His power. And that, at least to my humble thinking, lines up with the teaching of verses 5-7. through He says, if, in verse 5, if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, He died for sin, so we die to sin. That's justification of life. Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. He was raised victorious over sin. So we live in the power of that resurrection over sin. By one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Back up in verse 19. That doesn't mean we're perfect. But it does mean we seek to follow after holiness without which no one sees the Lord, and knowing that our old man was crucified with him, verse 6, that is, died with him, either spiritually or symbolically, that we should no longer, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Now let that phrase sink into our minds. The result of the death of Christ in the life of a Christian, is not only forgiveness and removal of guilt, it is that we have a new master. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. You see, a slave does it determine what he or she are going to do. The master does. And... All of us here today used to have the master of sin. If we're honest with ourselves, we did. And we did whatever sin wanted us to do. Might not have thought it out that way. Might not have been logically framed out in our brain. But that's the way it worked. But now we are no longer slaves for we have a new master. His name is Jesus. We have a new code of conduct, a moral law. We have a new heart that loves that law. And a new motivation to please our master by striving to keep that code of conduct. Not because of duty. Not because of fear. But because of love. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. 1 John 5 and verse 3. Verse 7 says, He who has died has been freed from sin. He who has died with Christ through the power of sin is freed from sin. We're freed from His guilt. The burden of sin has been lifted. The guilt of our past lifestyles has been taken away. The joy of abiding in the home of the new Lord can be enjoyed. That's behind the thinking, behind the verse like Hebrews 4 and 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We're freed from the guilt of sin and we're freed from His power. We're freed from His power. You see, when we were lost, we were without hope. Even when we wanted to do right, we didn't have the power to do it. But now with our Lord's strength and help, we can live righteous lives for His glory and our benefit. We're not perfect, but we're striving for that. We're not free from the presence of sin, but we strive to be free of its dominance. We no longer live under a cloud of guilt with a hopeless knowledge that sin has its under its power, but we're free to serve God without guilt and with a true desire to represent Him in this world. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus You do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so we've looked at the basis of living under grace, and that's what Jesus did on the cross. We're looking at the power of Christ that's represented in the symbolism of baptism. And now what should be the resulting spiritual reality in the lives of us as Christians? The resulting spiritual reality. Verse 8 says, if we died with Christ, we believe we're going to live with Him also. That is, if we died with Christ, we should be daily gaining victory over sin in this life and looking forward to eternally living with Him in the next. Death no longer has dominion over Christ. Sin no longer should have dominion over us. Now, once at the end of the ages, He has put appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And then the law of God or the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Verse 10, He died to sin once for all. He died to sin once for all, but He is alive forevermore. And the life that he lives, he lives to God. You see, the sacrifice of our Lord was, the sacrifice of our Lord is sufficient for everyone who believes in Him for salvation. His was the last sacrifice. It satisfied the wrath of God against our sin. It reconciled us to the Father. He now is alive forevermore, seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. He said, just as surely as Christ died for sin Once, and is now alive forevermore. Verse 11 says, I want you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to Christ, or to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When he talks about just reckoning it to be so, just consider it that that is the way it is. Dead to our old pattern of life. Dead to the control of sin. Dead to the guilt of sin. But we are alive to God. Alive to live by His power in ways that please Him. Dead to sin and alive to God just as surely as Jesus died to sin but now is alive to His Father. Let me wind some of this up. We are saved by grace. The basis of that grace is the work on the cross. But we are saved also from sin. And we should seek not to continue in it. Very well known passage of scripture. Ephesians 2, beginning verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith that not of yourselves it's the gift of God. Not of works that anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now as you look at verse 3 or 4 through 6 of Romans 6, you can see those wonderful truths are symbolized by baptism. The second major point in my conclusion is, if we have died to sin by the power of Jesus, we then also have been given a freedom to walk in units of life. Again, symbolized by baptism. If you abide in my words, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You see, it will make you free. Since, the third point is since Jesus died to sin once for all, He doesn't need to be sacrificed over and over, but the life that He lives, He lives to God, we also can and we also should reckon ourselves indeed dead to sin, but alive to God, symbolized again by baptism. If we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Let's pray. Lord, what a wonderful passage of Scripture. Wonderful thoughts. I ask now that as we assimilate these concepts in our minds, we recognize afresh the glories of salvation. Our salvation cost you your very life. But your resurrection proves that you came forth victorious over sin. And is the basis for us having victory over sin as well. So help us as sons and daughters of God as we live in this sin-cursed world with bodies that are decaying and getting old and having problems and thought patterns that we still wrestle with and struggle against to daily just fall at the foot of the cross. Thank You for dying for our sins, not only for our guilt, but to give us the ability to escape the power of sin on a daily basis and live for You in Your world. We love You in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you, Pastor Pat, for another wonderful message from God's Word. I hope that you have enjoyed listening to Pastor Pat's message. If this has been a blessing to you, please like and follow this podcast and give us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. If you would like to support this ministry and the other ministry opportunities at Faith Community Fellowship, please visit our website, faith-cf.org support. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Community of Faith.